Take your Bibles with me tonight and turn to Galatians chapter 6. For those who haven't been with us since we've began this study, we are finding our way through the book of Galatians. We have come to Galatians chapter 6. And what I've really entitled as Paul's description of Christian living at its best, what does it mean for us to live out this thing called the Christian life? Galatians chapter 6 summarizes some of that up for us as we have been looking at this and we want to continue to look into it tonight. So if you would just begin with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You that we can be here. We thank You that You brought us safely to this place, that we can open Your Word together. Lord, there really is nothing more important in all of life than to sit at Your feet and to hear from You, to understand what You say, to know what You mean by what You say, so that we can learn how to honor You and please You as we live out this life that we have in Christ. We thank You that in Your sovereignty You sent Your Son, that He would come and bear our sinful penalty, and He would endure Your wrath, that He would rise again from the dead, that He would be alive today, and that we who have believed upon Him who have turned from our sin, embraced Him by faith, have life in His name, and that we have the Spirit in us, and that we can now live to Your glory. We thank You for that privilege. Lord, may that always be on the forefront of our mind. May we be mindful of these things each and every day as the war rages, so that we would be an example to others of what it looks like to live the Christian life. So may you be honored with our time tonight as we spend this time in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians chapter 6. Remember that the Apostle Paul has defined just how it is a person gets saved as we have walked through our study of Galatians. He told us that they are justified by God through Jesus Christ alone. There is only one way to have your sins forgiven. There is only one way to stand in righteousness before a holy God. There is only one way that we can endure the holy uh, glory of God, stand in His presence, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are justified through Christ alone. That has been the Apostle Paul's argument from the very beginning, all the way back in chapter 1. And we ask ourselves the question as we think through this, why would the Apostle Paul need to argue that point? Why would he have to spend so much time after being such a faithful missionary, such a faithful man of God to spread the gospel, to give them the gospel that they needed unto salvation, why then afterwards would he have to spend so much time with them explaining to them what it means to be saved? The answer to that question is simply this, because the believers in Galatia had been infiltrated by some who were saying to them that 
you need more than just Jesus. You need more to be justified than simply believing in Jesus alone. You need actually outward religious practice plus Jesus to be saved. You need to do religious things in order to be justified before God. Jesus was part of that, believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, part of it, but you needed to keep the law. You needed to keep the Old Testament rituals. You needed to do the religious outward things in order to be saved. And of course, throughout our study, the Apostle Paul has laid the axe at the root of that deceptive tree, and he, in all uh, for all better purposes, has cut that tree to the ground in the book of Galatians. And he has said that if you are trying to gain salvation that way, then you are bound to the law for your justification. And if you are bound to the law for your justification, you are under the curse of the law because there's no way you can keep the law and its requirements. There's no way that you can do what the law requires because it is to be fulfilled perfectly. And the only one who ever did the law perfectly is Jesus Christ. No human this side of heaven, no human that is not God, the God-man Jesus Christ, could ever fulfill the law for justification. But, Paul says, if you are in Christ, then you have been freed from the law's requirements for justification. If we are in Christ, there's no sense in what you need to make any effort, any effort on your part to do religious activity for justification. Christ has set you free from any attempts at self-justification. And when we think about that, it is very comforting, it is very helpful for us. It is rather a sense of real uh, a calmness for us to think that no matter what happens with us in this life, no matter how life goes, we cannot even sin our way out of being justified before God because it is Jesus Christ in whom we are justified. didn't have anything to do with us. We didn't get ourselves into the salvation that we have. It was Jesus Christ that paid the price. We did nothing in and of ourselves that satisfied God. There is justification in Christ alone. So when we are set free from any attempts at self-justification, sometimes we think, well, therefore I can live however I want. Sometimes we get this wrong idea when, we're, when we just don't understand what the Bible is teaching, thinking that we can somehow be justified and yet go on living however we want. But we have to understand that while our justification in Christ has set us free from the law of self-justification, it has freed us from the attempts of justifying ourselves through the law, being in Christ, being justified in Christ, has not set us free from following the law for sanctification. We have to remember that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, very important words for us as we, we have been studying this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. 
that whole reality and doctrinal truth that the Apostle Paul is laying there for the Galatian believers to understand is that the freedom that he's talking about is not an autonomous freedom to do whatever you want to do, and yet you are free from the curse of the law, freed up to now follow the law for sanctification. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So the Christian... The Christian is not under obligation to the law for justification, but the Christian is obligated to the law for sanctification. This has been confused in Christendom throughout the ages, and it should not be. This whole idea that has been born over the years that I like to refer to as the hyper-grace mentality. In other words, we are saved by grace. We stand in grace. We revel in the grace of God. All of that is true. And therefore, because we're in the grace of God, there's no need for the law. That's wrong. There's no need for the law for justification. We couldn't keep it anyway. But there is a need for the law for sanctification. We are called to obedience. This is the idea. So the Apostle Paul is talking about obedience that brings about practical holiness. What do I mean by practical holiness? Christ-likeness. Doing what Christ did. Living as Christ lived. Acting as Christ acted. Having the attitudes that Christ had. Just like Paul says in Philippians 2. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? We are to have the attitude of Christ when it comes to following the things of God. So what we are talking about then is Christ-like living. Lives that reflect the character of Christ through how we live. And because we are in Christ, we have been given the Spirit of Christ to lead us in truth. Remember John chapter 14 through 16, Christ promises the Spirit to come and He says to His disciples, "He, the Spirit will lead you in all truth. The Spirit of God leads us into truth. That's all He does. He does not do anything outside the truth. And the truth is the Word of God, which is the reflection of the living Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. So we've been given the Spirit of Christ to lead us in truth. And therefore, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, when we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Right? Verse 16 of chapter 5. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So Christian living at its best is bound up in obedience to Christ. There's no better way, there's no other way to live happy in Jesus than to what? Trust and obey. That's what the song says. No other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's simply saying that we are bound up in obedience to Christ. And so we've been going back to the fact that Christian living, which began by the Spirit, right? If if we live by the Spirit, verse 25 of chapter 5, right? Christian living, which began by the Spirit, can only be accomplished by the Spirit. Can't do it on our own. Just as much as justification cannot be accomplished on our own, it cannot be accomplished by our own efforts, by our own works, so too sanctification cannot be accomplished by our fleshly efforts. 
We cannot, by our efforts, separate from the Spirit, in some kind of way, think that we can sanctify ourselves. We must follow the Spirit. We must follow the Spirit. That is our task. That is our what we are equipped to do. We can do it. We must walk in the footprints of the Spirit, and those footprints are found in one place and one place only. They are found in the Word of God. So we follow the Spirit by following the Word of God. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That is a strong command to us who believe upon Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus said when we were studying in the morning, love your enemies, that strong command, just as it means we we are to love in all of those ways that 1 Corinthians 13 is laying out. So too, walking by the Spirit is a strong command for us who believe upon Jesus Christ because He is simply saying this, obey the words that God says. Obey what God says. Now here's the problem, right? Here's the struggle. Here's the difficulty. We all know this. In spite of the command here to walk by the Spirit, As it says here, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. In spite of that command, the fact of the matter is we fail, don't we? We fail to do that. In fact, if we're honest, we would say it this way. Theologically, it's more accurate to say this. We choose not to. It's not that we're just going along and, whoops, I tripped up and I failed to do that. No, we just flat out willfully choose not to. It may be overt. It may be covert. It may be that we know what the Bible says and we're not doing it. It may be another way. We don't know because we haven't spent time with it, which is one of the commands of Scripture, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, right? Meditate on the Word of God day and night. We don't do that, and so what do we do? We are not walking by the Spirit in our life. So all of us at times in our Christian lives sadly and sinfully walk by the flesh. We sin. We're disobedient at times. And when that happens, each one of us, being in the body of Christ, each one of us, as Chris was bringing out in his question tonight, each one of us have a responsibility to one another. Each one of us have a ministry to each other in order to help each other back to obedience. And so this is what's being addressed here in chapter 6. So I want to just continue that where we left off last time. Right? We're in verses 1 through 10, really honing in on the first six verses, but we're in 1 through 10, and I just want to read these again for us as we begin our time. He says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. 
And let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with him who teaches. And we can just stop there. The Apostle Paul says, through the Spirit, we have all we need for life and godliness, right? Echoing the words in many ways, what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have everything we need given to us in Christ through the Spirit in us. We have all we need for life and for godliness. So that is simply to say that we have been fully equipped. None of us are lacking anything we need in order to be obedient to the things of God. We can follow the commands of God because God has equipped us through His Spirit to do that. So none of us who are truly saved can rightly use the excuse that we cannot walk in obedience. Sometimes I hear this in the, in the Christian realm and the discipleship relationships that, that we get involved with. And sometimes the discipleship relationships I'm involved with with folks not only here but other places around the world where I know people. And sometimes I hear those words, I just can't do it. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie of the flesh to your own self trying to convince you that you are unable to do what God has asked you to do. When we say that, and when we convince ourselves of that, what we are saying is that God has failed in what He has given to us. In other words, God has given us the Spirit, His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, God Himself living in us, and therefore God, we are blaming God for saying that you are insufficient to help me walk by the Word. I cannot say that. To say that is to say that the Spirit living in us is unable to do what He has been equipped to do and only does, lead us in truth. Right? We have the equipping. The Spirit of God leads us in truth, and we are all empowered by Him. If we know Jesus Christ by faith, we are empowered by Him to walk in it. The problem is us because we still live in this unglorified flesh. We still live here in this body of death, if you will. We still have the capacity to sin. And it's in those times when we're not walking by the Spirit, when we're not following what the Spirit commands, we're following the flesh. It's at those times that we ought to expect We ought to be prepared for, we ought to even desire other believers who are following the Spirit in their lives, who are carrying out their own spiritual responsibility before God to live the spiritual life. We ought to expect them to come to us and confront us about our sin. That ought to be an expectation for us. That was principle number one that we began to look at in verse one. Right? Paul said, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. What is Paul saying? He's saying Christian living at its best, guys. Christian living is not trying to work your way into this justification. You are justified. You've been given the Spirit, so walk by the Spirit. And this is what sanctified living looks like. Christian living at its best is seen in obedience to the Spirit. And when we are following the Spirit, we go and we restore sinful brothers and sisters. 
We go to one another. Shouldn't be any issue with any of us ever having someone help to hold us accountable. Ultimately, we have the, the ultimate accountability partner in our life already, don't we? We have the Spirit. Right? No one holds us accountable more or better than the Spirit of God. Just open the Word of God, and the Word of God, as Hebrews tells us, is sharper than any two-edged sword. We can try to hide in Him and, and, and uh, disguise things with people around us, but we cannot do that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit divides down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows how we think. He knows what we think. The Word of God pierces all of that and and says, no, no, that's not how you should be. That's the ultimate accountability partner. And yet he uses through brothers and sisters in Christ to come and help restore us. This is the principle here in verse 1. Because of Christ and because of our love for His glory as Christians... We go to each other and we help each other with obedience to the truth. That's part of the reason why we are commanded in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, where he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, it says. Part of the reason why the writer of Hebrews says that is because It says in there, you want to be a person who stimulates others to love and good deeds. You can't do that when you're separated from one another. We are made for stimulation. God has made us. He has equipped us. He has uniquely gifted us with one another so that when we come together, there's a pollination that takes place. There is a a reality within the church and within the body of Christ that happens that you cannot get anywhere else. And so we're not to forsake the assembling together because we are made for stimulation for each other. So on any given Lord's Day, some of us are living spiritually. We're walking by the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. And yet, some of us are not. Some of us, if not all of us from time to time in moments of that day, are living fleshly. We're actually being disobedient to the Word of God, and we need each other to come alongside and to help us out. Maybe it's just a look from across the room by a beloved spouse who says in that look, really, why are you talking like that? Why are you saying it that way? Or a dear friend who knows you well enough to know that those words are not what you ought to be saying. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 1 how we are to help one another to be spiritual, to be obedient, how we help each other live the Christian life at its best. So there's always a restoration ministry going on in the body of Christ. Each one of us has a great personal spiritual responsibility. It's personal. It is spiritual. It is upon us as Christians not only to walk by the Spirit ourselves, not only to be following in the footsteps of the Spirit, living by the Spirit, but also to have the responsibility to stimulate one another in that direction as well. So when sin happens, we get involved. Why? Because we are commanded to, and because, as we've learned in our study in the morning, love demands it of us. 
We need to exercise our spiritual condition by getting involved. It's really easy, I think, when we think about the difficulty within sinful issues, it's easy to convince ourselves that we just can't leave. We'll just leave that kind of thing to the leaders of the church. We'll just We'll just leave those issues and the leadership will take care of it in the church. The more mature maybe in the faith we'll get to it. I'm not mature enough in the faith to be able to deal with that. But the reality is that every truly born again Christian is to be a spirit led Christian. From the day they are born again to the day they die and go to glory, they are to walk by the spirit. There's no disclaimer here in verse 25 of chapter 5. There's no disclaimer that says once you reach a certain point, once you've been saved a certain amount of time, once you've been in the faith for so many years, then you walk by the Spirit. No. If you've been made alive by the Spirit, and that's the only way to be made alive, then walk by the Spirit. You've been equipped to walk by the Spirit. So Paul's words are for every Christian doesn't matter what spiritual maturity level you are at. doesn't matter how spiritual you are, even though the term spiritual there in verse 6 talks about the idea of being mature in Christ. Every one of us has a maturity level in Christ if we are saved or we're walking by the Spirit. And therefore, we all are to be walking by the Spirit. And when we are walking by the Spirit, we are able to help others, restore them. How? Notice he says, in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, as we saw in verses 22 and 23, is a fruit of the Spirit. Verse 23, gentleness, you see it there, is a fruit of the Spirit. So the one who goes to help restore is to do it as they follow the Spirit. Right? If you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is coming out to you. And so when you're walking by the Spirit, you go because you're following the Spirit. There will be gentleness in that process. That's a fruit of the Spirit. If in that process there is not gentleness coming out of you when you're doing that, then guess what you're not doing? You're not following the Spirit. You may have gone initially in following the Spirit, but in the process you've got let your flesh get in the way. and Gentleness isn't there. You need to have gentleness. This is the point that Paul is making. So to not do it in gentleness is to not follow the Spirit. So gentleness is a must. How do you know that you're doing it gently? Well, you'll be gentle when you look to yourself. Look to yourself because you realize that you too could be in that same place. That was the first point that we talked about. Second one was this. Christian living at its best is bearing the burdens of one another, bearing the burdens of one another. As I stated it earlier, we are our brother's keepers. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The first one, restore them. The second one, bear their burden. Bear their burden. That tells us that in the restoration process, The work isn't finished in just a moment's time. This isn't just, hey, we'll do this one moment and then that's it. No, it says bear one another's burdens. Burdens. The word baras. It's a very interesting word in the original language. Burden. 
means an excessively heavy load. An excessively heavy load. In other words, it's sometimes one, it's, it's something that one person cannot carry alone. That's the idea. Bear one another's excessive heavy loads, the very things they cannot carry alone. So Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So in bearing one another's burdens, we are actually carrying out and fulfilling the law. What's the law of Christ? Law of Christ is John 13, 34, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Love one another even as I have loved you. The Apostle John clearly understood what Jesus was saying when he was talking about the law of Christ. He says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21, to those outside the law, I became, I became as one outside the law. This is the apostle Paul talking. Not, not being outside the law of God myself, but under the law of Christ, right? I'm, I'm outside the law by justification, Paul's saying, and, and so I'm, I'm under the law, the law of Christ in my sanctification, even though they're outside the law. They're not Jews. They're not under the law in that way, as God had given the law. But I minister to them who are those outside the law in order that I might win those who are outside the law. 1 Corinthians 9, 21 James chapter 2, verse 8, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, this is the law you'll fulfill. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when you're doing that, you're doing well. 1 John 2, verse 8 through 11, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. That's a pretty stark contrast. If you say words, if your words are coming out of your mouth, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, professing to know Jesus, and yet you have this continual hate in your heart. God is saying through the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, you are in darkness. Why? Because whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. You see, they're deceived. They're, they, they're, they're, they're saying one thing, but their life is showing a whole other thing. They're walking in darkness. They're not saved at all. Doesn't even know where he's going, John says, because the darkness... As blind as his eyes, he can't even discern his own life rightly because darkness is so dark to him, he can't even tell where he's going even though he professes he knows God. 1 John 4.21, this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, this is the law of Christ. Paul quoted it back in verse 14 of chapter 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of Christ is the law of love. So when Paul says, bear one another's burdens, 
What are you doing? You're acting out the reality of the law of love. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of love says we are to bear one another's burdens. So not only are we to restore, but we are to lift up. That's what the verb bear there means in this command. It means to get under the load. Get under the load. That simply tells us that Christ-like love can't stay isolated. If we're going to love like Christ, we can't stay out of it. Talked a lot about that this morning. We can't be uninvolved. Christ-like spirit-following love moves to get involved. That's what it does. It comes to help carry the load. We all fall to the flesh, right? We all sometimes have these burdens. Falling to the flesh is a result of an unbearable burden of temptation. What it is. Can't blame it on God, right? When we're tempted, it's because of us. It's our own flesh. The temptation load gets so heavy sometimes that we just fall. We give in. We give in to it. So we've, we've got to help others carry it or else they'll fall into sin again. That's what this accountability issue was talking about as we were sharing earlier. Right? We all have certain areas of temptability. We all have weaknesses. That should tell us we need each other. We can't live apart from each other. Walking by the Spirit reflects the love of Christ. And so that Christ-like love comes to the aid of burdened brothers and sisters in Christ. We come to one another's burdens. Sin simply wants to keep isolated. Sin doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Sin wants to stay away, but love gets involved. So Paul says, number one, restore them. Number two, help carry them. And then number three, consider them. Consider them. Verses 3 through 5, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another, for each one shall bear his own load. What is Paul saying? Well, he's saying that the way we treat others has much to do with how we think of ourselves. The way we treat others has much to do with how we think of ourselves. In other words, when we have a high opinion of ourselves, and we think we're pretty good when today's, or maybe it was my teenage years, or maybe my kids' teenage years vernacular, if you think you're an entire bag of chips and all that, however you say it, Right? If we think we're something when we're nothing, have a high opinion of ourselves, we're going to be too willing, or unwilling, I should say. We're not going to be willing enough to go and help someone else, to pick up their baggage, to carry their load. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we don't bother to get involved with others' sin burdens. We really just think too highly of ourselves. Think too highly of ourselves. A lot of people like to look down on those who are trapped in sin. Oh, you're sinning like that. Oh, my goodness. I've dealt with sin issues in my own life, 
others' lives, and I've always said to them, listen, just tell me what's going on because there's nothing that's going on with you that's ever going to surprise me when it comes to sin. I was reading one of the commentators this week in my study, his personal testimony within Christendom about this issue, and he said, quote, I've often thought that if I ever fall into a trespass, kind of an interesting way to state it, if I ever fall into a trespass, I will pray that I don't land in the hands of those censorious, critical, self-righteous judges in the church. Let me fall into the hands of the barkeepers, the street walkers, the dope peddlers, because such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds, unquote. Wow, the sad commentary. But I've seen it. I think many of us have seen it. Many a church certainly isn't what we want to be. It's certainly not how we desire to be, but sometimes we are. Sometimes we're like that. And Galatians tells us that when we are like that, when we're like that, we are just deceiving ourselves about our own spiritual maturity. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, when we're like that, God says we're nothing. We're worse than zero. At least zero is something. We're worse than zero. We're nothing. If we think we're something. And so, what's the remedy? What's the remedy for self-puffing up? If you think you're something, what's the remedy for that? Verse 4, let each one examine his own work. And then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, but not in regard to another. What's the remedy? Self-examination. You want to remedy self-boasting? Then examine your own heart before the truth. This is what Paul is saying. If you think you are walking by the Spirit, if you think you're one that's spiritual and you're going and you're going to bear a burden but you don't want to help someone who is burdened by sin, you, you think you're too good for that kind of thing, then you are actually self-deceived about your own spiritual maturity. You're self-deceived about your love for one another. Why? Because that's not spiritual behavior. True spiritual maturity would get involved. True spiritual maturity wouldn't think so highly of themselves that they didn't have to get involved. What you need to do is have a dose of serious self-examination. Examine yourself. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians. After all that he said, and after all defending his ministry to these people who were beginning to question their founding pastor's doctrine, because those who had infiltrated the church and were undermining the Apostle Paul, at the end of it all, in chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul says, examine yourself. See if you're even in the faith. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Listen, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. You better, you better have a big dose of self-examination. You better go and examine your own work. And then when that examination's done, that testing of it, that's the idea. It's like the, the burning of the, 
of the gold that you ore out, right? The, the assaying of it, the, the smelting of it. You, you put yourself under the smelting fires of the Word of God. You do that. Then you might have a just cause for boasting in regard to yourself alone. You might have something to say, but not in regard to another person. You say, well, what's Paul saying there? He's saying, listen, you better not assume anything that isn't really true. Because to help at all comes from a heart of self-examination. Right? If, you're, if you're ready to help, if you're spiritually mature, walking by the Spirit, you'll examine yourself because it's, that's the heart behind it. Right? Remember verse 1, looking to yourself. You go to someone caught in a trespass, that's your job, that's your spiritual responsibility, that's walking by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of love, that's fulfilling the law of Christ. You go to help bear a burden, but you better be looking to yourself. Better be examining yourself. Well, that's our first responsibility. Our first responsibility is to examine our own life. We need to be sure of our own attitude. We need to make sure in the process our own attitude is right, right? We need to be thinking about Philippians 2, have this attitude in you which was also in Christ. Make sure our attitude's right, that we have the reason to boast in the good sense. That's what Paul's talking about. Not because of us. We're not boasting about something about us. We're just simply saying what God has done in our life. Listen, I was there one time too, and, and God has, has brought me through that. And here's how He brought me through that, brother, and He can bring you through that too. That's the idea. That's why He says in verse 5, notice each one's going to bear his own load. Seems like a contradiction when Paul says those words in one sense, but it's not. What Paul is addressing is the reality of being conceited about oneself as we help one another. Thinking you're better. Oh, I'll come in there. Look at I'll take care of this. I, I've found my way through all of this. I'm, I'm good at it. No. Paul says keep your eye on yourself because you're going to have to answer to God one day. You too will have to answer to God for how you went about helping Some, some of us might think there's a contradiction here because he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens or bear one another's load, really. And then verse 6, he says, but each one shall bear his own load. <clears throat> All right, bear the burden, bear the load. But there's no contradiction because the word load in verse 5 and the word burdens in verse 2 are two different words. Burdens, as I said earlier, is baras, means heavy burden, something able to carry. But load actually and literally means something carved, something carved, a little object carved. It has to do with a little piece of art. That's the idea. In other words, the idea was something not difficult, it was something very general. Not really difficult at all. So in verse 5, it doesn't mean a heavy, unbearable load or a difficult load. No, he's talking about simple, general issues of life. Each one's going to have to answer for those things in life as he carried them out in life. And so he's saying that everybody has to take care of his own life. 
So you need to ensure this self-examination never goes away. We ought to be always having this self-examination going on because we're always in the potential reality of being called into action to the ministry of restoration. So we ought to be checking our life all the time. Make sure your life's right. Examine your own work. Verse 4, you examine your work. And then verse Or you make sure you have reason to boast because of what God's doing in you. Never boast about that before anybody else. Don't elevate yourself up so that you're spiritual in such a way that you can't get involved. That's for the people below me. You never want to get there. Christian living at its best is carrying out our spiritual responsibility. We have a responsibility to restore others. We have a responsibility to bear the burdens of others. We have a responsibility to care for others. In order to do that, we have to be willing to look to others. We have to be able to consider them better than ourselves. When we do that, we'll go to them with gentleness. We'll go to them with humility. And then Paul says, lastly in verse 6, give to others. Give to others. Notice verse 6, and let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with him who teaches. I just want to say at the outset that this verse is not talking about how you should pay the preacher. Not what he's talking about. And I'm glad he's not talking about that. There's no way that that kind of idea fits the context of what Paul is saying here. It would be very odd for the Apostle Paul to talk about restoring one, walking by the Spirit, restoring each other, bearing each other's burdens, caring for one another, think yourself, don't think too highly of yourself. Oh, and by the way, pay the preacher when he teaches. doesn't make any sense. It's not what he's talking about. Paul's talking about those who are walking by the Spirit. The spiritually... The spiritually minded people, those walking in obedience to the Word of God, coming to the aid of sinful, weak brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of this passage. So when they come to their aid, when we go to someone because we've examined ourselves, we've looked at our life, we don't have anything to boast about in and of ourselves before God. It's all that what God has accomplished in our life. We go and we can help someone with that. Then we are inevitably in that process sharing the word of God with them. We are taking them to the very thing that can help them, the word of God. We are teaching them the word And they are mutually sharing together. That's what the word share there is. It's koinonia. It's the word koinonia, really. Koinonia. They share in all good things, it says. In other words, as we share the Word of God with them, and as they are working to, to be brought out of that, they're working hard in their discipleship process, as you are helping to restore them, walking with them, sharing the Word of God with them, carrying their load with them, and they are learning, and you are learning, and the Word of God is being there. 
right? They are learning in that process of restoration. You are learning in that process of restoration. So the implication is, as you're walking with them, as you are walking by the Spirit, you know the sin issue, you go to that person, you begin the process of restoration. This discipleship is happening one-on-one. You confront the issue of sin. You call them to confession. You call for repentance in their life. Prayer is happening, leading them back to the Word of God. You hold them up by that whole issue of accountability that we talked about earlier in that relationship in which you get under the burden. You help carry that burden, that temptation. You help them in that. You build them up. You are sharing back and forth all the good, all the biblical truths that flow out of that process. You're talking about that all the time. And so you are having this fellowship take place of all the good things, all that's happened with you through the Word of God, as God has got you in the process, and they are sharing with you all that God is doing with them. Might be that you give them a book to read. Maybe you have a a good, sound theological book that they can read that will help on that subject. You might send them to a link of a message that you heard that really was profound to you and helped you as you went through that very issue. Or maybe it might help them in the issue they're dealing with. You might encourage them to be at church with you and to come and not stay away from the church and help them understand how they can grow in the body of Christ. You might be in a Bible study with them and walking with them through a specific issue and a doctrinal truth of Scripture that you know is going to help them. And so, you know what Paul's describing here? You know what he's saying and talking about? He's talking about discipleship. This is discipleship in process because we're saved, because we're equipped by the Spirit, and because we're walking by the Spirit, we get involved in discipleship. We're exercising the one another's in each other's lives so that God is glorified and so that we are mature in Christ. So what is Christian living at its best? In a simple phrase, Paul would simply say it's this. It's being my brother's keeper. It's being my brother's keeper. It's examining my own life and remaining walking by the Spirit, continually checking myself and and being thankful for what the Lord is doing in my life so that I'm always prepared, always ready, always at that place where God may call me into action where I get in the restoration process. I am my brother's keeper. So I have to walk by the Spirit so that God is honored in my life, so that I'm ready, ready to help others. There's nothing more saddening to me in the ministry as a pastor than to see what the church is compared to what the church could be if we just simply walked by the Spirit. Right? If we just trust and obey. Let me just say, brothers and sisters, tonight as we think about this, as Chris even shared with us earlier, let's lose the phrase when it comes to our spiritual life. Let's lose the phrase, I'm all set. Let's just lose that. Let's eradicate that from our vocabulary when it comes to our spiritual struggle. Let's just be open. Let's be willing to share with each other the burdens of life so that the church, this body which God has instituted for us to be a part of, and He's instituted it for our good and for His glory, 
let's come alongside one another and just help each other. Let's not push it aside, sweep it under the rug. Because I believe that as we walk by the Spirit, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is there's going to be this joy that wells up in us as individuals and as a body of Christ. Why? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things will be happening in us. Look at what Paul says then in verses 7 to 10. I'll just read these. We're not going to cover these tonight, but I'll just read them. Do not be deceived. Right? Okay. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Carry their burdens. Care for them. Have that mutual reality of giving. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he's going to reap. The one who sows to his own flesh is going to reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit is going to, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. The Apostle Paul saying, said, listen, how you live reflects who you really are. What you sow shows. And then notice he gives us a reality check in verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. You wonder why Paul has to say that. Because sometimes in that process of restoration, in that process of discipleship, in that process of going to one another, it doesn't end well. Sometimes sin remains. Paul says, don't worry about that. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in doing good. Keep doing good because in due time you're going to reap. You're going to reap if you don't grow weary. There's going to be a reaping in the end. So then, while you have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What an exhortation. What a reminder for us. We have a responsibility to each other. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Right? For when we're walking by the Spirit, we are walking by the law of love, which is the essence of the fruit of the Spirit. So while we're not saved by keeping the law of Christ, we are being in Christ. We are equipped to fulfill the law of Christ. We're equipped to fulfill it. So we have to continue to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have to continue to bear one another's burdens just as Christ has loved us when He bore our sins on the cross. So Christian living at its best is restoring, bearing, considering, and giving. Restoring, bearing, considering, and giving. And any wonder that Paul says in verse 11, see what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. 
Paul's simply just saying, listen, I'm, I, when I'm saying this, I'm loving you just like I'm telling you to love one another. We'll get to that next time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us like this. Thank you for caring for our souls in such a sweet way. Thank you for opening our eyes to the reality of what takes place oftentimes in our midst, in our own heart. Sometimes we're just ignorant of what we ought to do. and So we act sinfully. We're sinning and sometimes we don't even realize it. Open our eyes to those things. Lord, help us be those people in one another's lives that cause, that is being used by you as we follow the Spirit to disciple each other, to bring the truth to bear, to share all good things together so that you are honored through it. Lord, we know we can't be saved by our efforts, but certainly you use us to walk by the Spirit that we might be sanctified and made into Christ's likeness. Lord, thank you for giving us the, and equipping us with the ability to, to follow you. May we do that faithfully for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.